Your time is now. The world needs leaders. It's up to you to answer the call. Be better in business. Be better in life. Joined by our host, Chris Book. This is Leading by the Book. Hey guys, welcome to Leading by the Book. I'm Chris Book. Hope your week is off to a great start. Got an awesome show for you today. Got a guest coming on that has played a very important role in my life and has so much wisdom and insight to share with you that you can put to work right away in your own lives. But before we get to that, quick reminder, if you want to get in touch with me, you can always email me, chris at leadingbythebook.com or find me at leadingbythebook.com. You can also get in touch with me on Twitter at Chris Book and on LinkedIn at Chris Book. One other thing, a lot of you have asked, how can you support the show? And it's really simple. Just spread the word, share the show with as many people as possible. Helping us grow our audience really is just the best way to make sure that we can keep bringing you this content each week. So without further ado, here's this week's show. Our guest today in Leading by the Book is somebody that I've known for, well, I shouldn't say known. Um, We met probably 15, 20 years ago now and played a significant role in my life that I don't even know you knew about. Sure didn't. <laughs> <laughs> very, very pivotal. Um, but that guest is Pat Murphy. Pat, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's Thank great you. to be here. So most of our listeners will not be baseball people. Um, in the baseball world, obviously, your name is tremendously well known. But for those of us that, that are, come from more of a corporate background here or are sitting in cubicles, so Pat is a lifetime baseball person. Right now, you're coach with the Milwaukee Brewers. You've been a head coach at the Division One level at Notre Dame and Arizona State. You actually won 1,000 games. I didn't know that number until I was doing my homework here. 1,000 games as an NCAA coach, four-time Pac-10 Coach of the Year, managed in both the minor and the major leagues, and you've also worked in the front office as well. And now you're with the Brewers, um, working with Brewers manager Craig Council, who's actually a former player of yours at Notre Dame. Right. So your, uh, your impact and your story here in the baseball world is, I think, pretty profound. I've been pretty lucky. I, I really have. I've worked with great people, great organizations, universities, professional organizations, internationally. Um, you know, I've, I've really, I've been very, very lucky, and and I'm very grateful, and I'm I'm still learning. Yeah. Well, I think what's what's really fascinating, and the reason I wanted to get together with you is on the leadership topic, and and obviously that's what the show is about. And you know, for the last few minutes here, we've been talking pretty deeply about leadership. But you've led so many different generations in the baseball world. You've been dealing with kids like me that were 16 years old, coming out of high school. You've, you've, now you're working with guys making $25 million a year in the major leagues, pretty well-established guys. And then you've been in between there in the minors where you've got teams filled with 30-year-olds and, and 18-year-olds alike. So this idea of how you lead groups and how you apply different leadership principles in different times, I think, is fascinating. And I think that the first question I have for you right out of the gate is, over the years, how has your approach to leadership amongst these different groups changed? Well, I think it has to. Um, I think to survive, you have to uh, understand that it's not about you first and foremost. You know, you got to check your ego uh, daily um, because your decisions and, and your comments and everything um, can't be from ego. And I think that once, once those groups uh, – have I changed? A ton. Uh, once those groups uh, realize that you're not about you, um, you respect yourself and uh, you're going to take care of yourself, but at the same time that you really do have a mission to try to impact people, and um, it can be slowly, it can be not at all, but uh, as soon as they know you're not there to hurt them and you're there to, to hold them to a standard and you're there to uh, give them the truth, I think you got a chance to impact whether they're eight or 80. Sure. So with this idea of being deliberate with leadership, which is what I think you're describing there, you know, my, my theory is that right now we talk about leadership a lot, at least in the business world. And it's one of these things that ends up somewhere on a resume, somewhere buried. And it's like, yeah, you know, I, I got computer skills and I have leadership skills. But I think the thing that really separates people that, that lead well from those that just talk about it is being deliberate and having a specific mission. And one of the things you were talking about earlier is how with different people, you push them or don't push them in different ways. And, and this idea of recognizing the specific situation and, and doing what is called. I, I think that's kind of the remarkable indicator of a leader is your ability to recognize that, but to be deliberate and have a mission with each person that you come across. Yeah, I think, too, that you have to be careful and that it has to be genuine. 
Um, the timing of it doesn't have to be impeccable. I mean, it isn't um, a, a lot of what, that I, in my world, a lot of what happens is their response to things and their mindset. And sometimes no thinking is the best way to perform. And just well-prepared and doing it with a confidence and a conviction. Um, but leading them away from the competition um, is, is mostly about continuing them to, to question themselves and to get into their own minds and realize they can control their attitude, they can control their approach, and doing that in all different ways. And, and I don't think there's – I think if they know you're genuine, I, I think that – and they know you love them, I think you can hit them in all different ways and they'll accept it. They might not accept it right then the way you want them to, but you're not trying to screw it up. But sometimes you, you, your timing's off or your approach is off. But they'll come back to you, and you won't lose them because they they know you love them and they know you have information for them. The common denominator there is trust. You know, if you got one guy that you got to get on, you got to get in his face. You got another guy you got to put your arm around. The thing they both have to have in common is they have to trust that you have their best interest at heart. Trust that you understand them, that you know them. That's a good point. I mean. But oftentimes they don't trust you yet because they're just getting to know you. Maybe yeah. it's early in the season. Maybe they just met you, whatever it might be. So you have to know that when you're leading someone else or you're communicating or relating to someone else, other people are watching. They're getting a feel for you. Um, and they're seeing if you're deceptive. They're seeing if you're just putting on a show. They're seeing if you're coming from ego. They're seeing if you're transactional. Um so it's important that you live in that, you walk your path in, in, a, in a way that is reflective of, of uh, who you really are. And sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm kind of outgoing. I'm, I, I use a lot of words, but I try to portray that, that uh, I do care about. It. And over time, you build that relationship, and I think you can have an effect. But the worst type, I think, is the one that's trying too hard, the, the, the coach or the leader that's trying to force their ways or prove themselves to the player. Sometimes a player, I know in the big leagues, a player will put up a wall um, and uh, be like, hey, I've seen jokers like this a lot. And they, they may be well-intended, they might have good information, but they put up a wall because they don't, they're don't they not comfortable with the relationship yet. So I think it's important that you, you come off genuine and that you realize the path you're walking. You don't have to try, you just have to be. And if it's genuine, it's humble, it's not coming from ego, and you have life experience that can help them. You know, you pointed out something there, talking about coaches that are kind of their way or the highway. And, you know, it, it triggered some of my mind because as leaders, our primary responsibility is to make the people on our teams better for the betterment of the team. But you think, think of the lower levels. Think of a high school coach or a summer ball coach, and you get a lot of guys at that level that are not sophisticated enough to look and say, all right, this kid needs this, this kid needs this. They're guys that are, whether, whether they're reliving their glory days or whatever it is. And what scares me to death about that is the amount of talent that has probably been cut short that walked away from the game or got themselves in a mental hole because of, of that. So you know, no, I what, think that happens here, though. I mean, you can evaluate coaches. Everybody throws the high school coach under the bus, and I've, I was included in that probably uh, many times in my past. Uh, you know, you're like, ah, this guy he doesn't know what he's doing, and this guy, da, da, da. you know, you really can't measure how they might help a guy. They may not help him in, in my world of baseball. They may not help him as much as they you'd like him to or as much as they could. Um, but but I think it happens in the big leagues. It happens in major college because I've been part of it, and I've done it, where you don't look at the possibilities of every kid. You don't allow yourself to see everybody's, you know, what could be, and therefore you limit yourself and how you affect them. So although I, I, everybody wants to consider themselves and coaches are, are uh, evaluated based on their wins and I've got a gaudy winning percentage, I, you know, I haven't always helped guys. And uh, that's what you live with, you know, like how could I have helped this guy more? How could I have impacted this guy better? How could I have related to this guy and maybe brought more out of him? I think that's where you're going to go because you, po- you just can't possibly get to, to everyone, and I don't think I think Mike Shusevsky or Popovich or any of the great coaches will tell you that, you know, we're limited in what we can do. 
but um, we can also do harm. And um, it's important that uh, you recognize that and try to limit it. That's, that's the burden of responsibility with leadership, though. And I, everybody wants to be the guy calling the shots, but right. there, there's a flip side to it. Do you study leadership or, do, or even the psychology side of it? I mean, is this something that you still actively work on yes. I mean, even now as long as you've been in the game? Oh, no question. <laughs> the, more you, the more you learn about it, the more you realize that uh, you know you, you could have been a lot better at what you did and, and that it kind of haunts you a little bit. But I think, generally speaking, you can only hold it to a draw. You know, you, you can't win it over. Um, but I think I've, I've been impactful to many people, but I also think that, um, you know, I've, I fell short in, in many people, but I think the important thing is individually, um, even to call yourself a leader seems a little, uh, I don't know, uh, seems like too much ego for me. I mean, I just, I want to be a person who gives, I want to be a person who knows that my life is worthwhile it can be measured by how much I've helped others. There's no win-loss record or anything like that that can judge um, that for me. You know, I just, I, I try like heck every day to say, hey, take the ego out of it. And let's let's go from, from Jump Street and see if we can't get guys uh, to feel better about who they are and realize their possibilities and bring out their best self if you can, or at least lead them to a point where they can bring out their best self, even if they don't like what you said. So um, that's kind of how I do it day to day, and it makes the job really fulfilling. You still ache with the losses and, and, and celebrate the wins, but um, it's all a teaching moment, and it's all a journey. So, uh, yeah, but I, the, the concept of being labeled a leader, the concept of being labeled a, in some form, probably everybody's a leader. You know? I think they have to be. Right. If, if, if you're sitting in a cubicle, if you're the CEO, you can lead maybe in different ways, mm-hmm. but I, I guess I look at it this way. If you're sitting in the cubicle and you want to be the CEO, you've got to lead. That's, right. how, that's how you make an impact. Right. When you look back, is there, a, is there a favorite moment from a leadership perspective that sticks out? So, you know, it's, it's some kid that, that couldn't throw the ball back to the pitcher and you got him through or, you know, because to me, it's, it, you've got the guys that are going to hit 40 bombs and okay, they're great, but there are these little moments with, with people that sometimes shouldn't even be there and you get them over the hump or something like that and they just stick out as, and there are these incredibly rich moments when you reflect on, on the yeah. past. Yeah, it's funny, I, I, I had no idea you were going to ask me that, so here's what came to my mind just now. I take the job at Notre Dame in the fall of 1987, or 88 was our first season, we're getting ready to start our season. And to say the least, as a 28-year-old getting that job, I was full of, of energy, fire. Uh, Notre Dame was my dream job. It was a part-time job. Um, they didn't take baseball seriously or didn't want to. It wasn't a funded program. We didn't have many scholarships, if any at all. We didn't have a field to, to speak of. There was a kind of a less-than-high-school field on campus. But it's still a great university, and you got great young men. Um, I took over for a great man who took a, a bigger baseball job, but there wasn't a lot of success in the program, wins and losses wise. Um, so I take over the program, and I'm just I'm running it like a <laughs> like a, a powerhouse program, and I'm telling them how important it is, and I'm telling them that it's as important as your academics, and I'm telling you that you know I, I'm doing I'm practicing way too much. There wasn't limits on practice then. I'm practicing way too much. I'm working the. the the bejesus out of them. I really am. I'm, I'm, <clears throat> I'm inappropriate in how hard I'm working them. And it's a little bit of this is going to be a reflection of me. So I'm, I'm going overboard and there's some ego involved. Um, but I'm needless to say, preparing this bunch of young men who've never won. We're getting ready for our first trip, uh, in, in North Carolina. We're going to play Duke in, uh, Wake Forest. It's 1988. And, um, let me go back one second. I'm sorry. That, that was the start of the season. But before that, we were bringing the University of Miami up um, to play in a fall series during the football, the famous football game, um, Notre Dame-Miami. And we were playing Miami in a, in a, in a series. And uh, same thing, you know, we're, 
preparing, preparing, preparing for this thing. We're playing the number one team in the nation. We got no chance. They're throwing two first-round draft picks, Alex Fernandez and Joe Gray. Um, and, and the day before the game in the locker room, a player comes up to me. And earlier, that player had been contemplating not playing baseball because his academics were too important to him. And I told him flat out, baseball's every bit as important in your life. <laughs> so I was questioning how much he cared. Long story, he looked at me in the locker room and he said, Murph, you don't think we can beat these guys, do you? And I looked at him and I said, no, I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, yeah. But he put me on my heels. Almost to say, you've done all this to prepare us. You've went overboard. We've missed dinners. We've had no free time. You've taken this thing to a level of seriousness that we've never known. And now I'm asking, and we're playing the number one team in the nation right out of the shoot. And I'm asking you flat out, do you think we can beat these guys? And you hesitated. And I did. I hesitated. And he looked back at me and he said, Murph, we're going to beat these guys. I get chills telling that story. And we went and we beat them twice. And what I came to realize in that moment is that all my work and all my thing, yeah, it does work. It does happen. You do prepare teams. And they start to believe, even if you don't, they'll start to believe because they are prepared. And that kid looked at me and he said, we're going to win. And we went out and won. And I realized that the players play. You prepare them. Take your emotion and your doubt and your negative feelings out of it. You prepare them right. They can achieve it. So. That's the moment I think of. That was, to me, a turning point. Like, hey, prepare these guys, and they will perform. And we went on to win seven years. We went on to average over 45 wins a year in a 56-game schedule. So, you know, things can happen. Is that the most fun you've ever had coaching? At Notre Dame? Yeah, even that particular season. Yeah, that was really special. I don't know the most fun I could ever measure. Maybe fun's not the right word. Yeah. the thing you just look back fondly, and at, at the time oh, you feel wow. like you're you're not doing anything, but you just look back and you think, "Wow, that was that was a really special time." I didn't even. People say to me all the time, "Like, how did you do it? How'd you turn that program around?" I mean, we created standards. Um, I didn't write them down. We just created standards. I made them write them down, you know, in their minds and their goals, and we created standards and we live by those standards. And there was it was a priority, and our intent. And what was to be done was clear. And nothing, and I mean nothing, could break it. And these are the same group that were 15 and 30 the year before. were 48 and 19. And uh, if my memory is serving me correct, I know they were, were 15 and 30 the year before. And that same team in my first year won 40 games. And, you know, it was like, wow, <laughs> this, this is real. This works. You know, and we just, we built on that. Now, along with that was a lot of, you know, I was, I was uh, overcooked on a lot of stuff. I, I overdid some things, but um, the discipline was great. The camaraderie, those kids are all still close friends. Um, you know, it impacted a lot of people. And mostly because they looked at each other and said, hey, we got a nutty coach. This guy's out of control. But hey, we're going through this together. And I got your back. Yeah, pretty cool. Pretty cool. Good memory for me. You, know, you, you touched on a lot of different things in there. Obviously, you touched on on the idea of humility and leadership, which is is, is such a tremendous skill. Um, you know, but I think when, when you kind of get to the end of the day here, it's those moments like that 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 make leadership so worthwhile. Because there's there's not a lot of other things you can do in your life that really re- really can impact you that way, but. But something that, that you also touched on there that is, is really fascinating, you coming from the business world, the idea of, of values and standards. So there, there's a phrase that, that I, I heard from some, some uh, retired SEALs. It's not what you preach, it's what you tolerate. And, you know, I'm kind of fascinated, at least in the business world, because we've got mathematical models for everything and, and you know, we, we micromanage things out the wazoo. But the teams that do well are the teams that very simply understand what is the organization trying to do? What are the three to four things that really matter to them in order to do it? So, so the values, and then the level of standards. You know, and, and it's simple things too. You know, we, we would be on teams, and it'd be just a matter of here's 
here's what we're going to do with our PowerPoint presentations. They are going to be this detailed. They're going to be proofread four times. Everything is going to be sharp, just so that everybody else in the company sees that we have our crap together. It doesn't take a genius to, it's to BS. do that. Yeah. But it, it's those standards that really matter. So when you come come in here to, to Milwaukee, this is a, a team that they've, they've always been, at least in the last few years, but before before you guys got here, they were fine. You know, probably middle of the pack in the central. And presumably, the culture has changed. Obviously, the results have really changed. You're in first place now. But has the talent really changed, or is it just the way that talent has led and, and the standards and the expectations changed? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that I don't really know what it was like before. I really don't. Um, I know they were going through a rebuilding process here when, when I took over, when I uh, came on board. Um, so the first time I was here, it was rebuilding. And the, our leader, Craig Council, uh, is our manager, general manager, David Stearns, and, and um, Matt Arnold, uh, assistant general manager. I know they had a vision in mind. And they set standards of the type of talent they were going to bring in. I think I was brought in as a guy with an experience coaching background um, at all levels to, to try to support Craig as he began his journey as a leader. Um, but certainly, um, you know, I don't know that we've, I don't know that we've created a brand new culture. I don't know that we've um, actually what we've done other than it reflects on the scoreboard that we're winning a lot more games, but I tend not to look and evaluate it. I tend to look at what do we need to do today? And, and we, we got a lot to do today. Um, and I tend to look at the way we can improve and, and how can we make the, the culture better? What are some standards we can implement even more concrete? It's very complicated. I'm, I'm telling you, big league baseball, my four years, it's complicated. Uh, there, there's a business aspect of it that I don't understand fully. There's an analytics aspect of it that's very helpful. Um, there's a a personal relationship aspect of it that I think I do understand and trying to get better at. Um, so, and there's a competition aspect of it that's, in, that's incredible. You're facing the best in the world. How do you do it? How do you rate it? How do you keep in the right you know, six month season, regular season? How do you keep them going? So um, it's complicated, but uh, I don't know that we're, I mean, on paper, it looks like we're a lot better. Um, we improved 86 wins last year with the smallest budget in baseball. That looks really good. Um, but, you know, um, I think there's a lot of work to be done. And I know Craig, if he ever listened to this, would start laughing because he says, Murphy, you're always looking for what we need to do next. Absolutely. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't want to sit still. Uh, I want to keep going to see if we can improve it. If it ends up in a championship, so be it. If it doesn't, I still think we're moving in the right direction. You know, I, th I think a lot of our listeners probably won't won't fully grasp this idea, but right now you're you're on on on, on the coaching staff. Um, your manager is Craig Council, who somebody that you recruited, went to Notre Dame, played for you. He he went on to 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 a solid major league career and is now back here managing in his home state. I don't think there's a parallel for something like that in the business world. It's you, you know, it's I'm a vice president of a company. I bring on an intern out of college and, and you know a decade or two decades later he's the ceo and i'm working from that doesn't really happen the way it I is see. here mm -hmm. but but part of it i guess is maybe that's what makes baseball so special but what is that dynamic like yeah you know craig and i have maintained our relationship for 20 years after he you know uh left notre dame i think he left in 92 so 2002, 2012, uh, so it's 25 years, we've just really kept in good contact. I've always respected him and, and really enjoyed the conversation. He's given me uh, a lot of conversation. We've talked a lot about the game, and he, you know, was around my teams at Arizona State. Um, we kept in good touch when I was with the Padres. And he actually, you know, offered me the bench job um, when he took the manager's job. And uh, the Padres wouldn't give him permission to actually engage in conversations with me about it officially. So um, I didn't. I took the interim job with the Padres, and then I joined him after the 15 season. Uh, it's been great. It's a it, you know we're we're friends. Uh, we respect each other. Um, I think I bring a certain element to the to the organization that 
that is needed, and I think he does a magnificent job. I've I've learned a ton from him, a ton from him, not just about the big league game, just about leadership. I mean, he does it way different with a different way, and in a lot of ways it's very similar. Um, but it, uh, yeah, it's been it's been great. We have, we have a lot of fun. Well, I think that's really smart on his part to want to bring you in right out of the gate. You know, looking looking back at my career, there are a lot of folks that that I worked for, people that that then became friends after I worked with them. They went on to to different roles, and if I found myself as the CEO of a major organization, you know, not a lot of people I think would would try to surround themselves with those people because right now we've got this idea that. CEOs have to be decisive, and they've always got to be right. They've got to be the Steve Jobs of the world, or the, the Zucks of the world. Now, now we got a generation of twenty-year-olds running around, right. you know, kind of like dictators. It takes a lot of humility, though, to want to surround yourself with people like that. But you think about the blessing in that—that that, that sounding board and that trust—that's a really wise move right out of the gate for someone that's a first-time manager. Right. I think it's it's um, it, it was a natural from when we talked about it. I was very thrilled that he. I was honored that he'd want me part of it, but it's, um, you know, I've learned, like I said, I've learned, I, he's done as much for me as I could ever do for him in this role. Um, I've learned a ton and, uh, it works. It's a simple thing. We, we, we rarely agree, um, which might find funny, but you know, we're constantly disagreeing, but we don't take offense with our disagreements. I'm constantly bring things up, but I'm not standing in his shoes and he's not standing in mine. So that's the beauty of it. We know what the what the role is and um it's been i think it's worked so far but it, we still got to keep going you know that's that's all there's to it we still have to keep yearning to get better and be open for growth and uh it's a way of life if you did agree all the time would it work um probably not you know probably not i think it's good to the back and forth is good um, but we have a whole staff of guys that, that are responsible for this, our pitching coach and hitting coaches and first base coach, third base coach, bullpen coach, bullpen catchers. They're all part of this thing. You know, um, our advanced scouts guys are unbelievable. Uh, our video guys, unbelievable. Our clubhouse people, trainers, strength guys. I mean, it's a great unit when everyone, everyone uh, really respects each other and everyone uh, is on board. I think this is... This is a cohesive and connected group that I've ever been part of, you know, um, and that makes it makes it fun coming to work every day. That's also what allows what what allows teams to work in the context of you know here you've got guys making a lot of money, so it's it's very individual in that regard. And, and you know even in corporate America, like we, you know we can talk about team first, and this is our company's mission and all that. Well, at the end of the day, like, people are still there yeah. to pay their mortgage, to pay right. for their kids' school, and all right. that, and when you can create an environment where that doesn't necessarily get lost, but there's right. this whole other idea of, of we versus us, or excuse me, right. we versus me, right? That, that's a powerful, powerful thing. Yeah, you know, and, and what I'm learning about this whole thing, this whole team concept, and, you know, I, I think team has to be practiced, just like we, practice, we, we prepare mentally, uh, we prepare physically more than anything, which which I think is in a six month season might be overdone and might be just a matter of habit. Um, but we, we do all the strength and conditioning, all the prehab rehab. We do everything for these guys physically. Do we do enough mentally for them? Uh, even though they're from all walks of life, different countries, different phases of their life, different economic, uh, situations. Um, do we do enough for them mentally, uh, to prepare them? And do we do enough to train them about team? And I don't mean anything formal. I don't think it would go over big. Um, but I do think there should be a, a team uh, preparation, so to speak, where we're doing things that, that create that connectedness in each other. And I think we should do a, a bunch of mental skills stuff that isn't, again, formal. It's something that's just part of the natural flow of the day that helps them get in the right uh, frame of mind mentally. So I think those... Those couple things could be added. I think we're working on that. I think we we recognize that. Do you have a, a team mental health um, yes. practitioner? You yes. Know? He's great. Matt Krug. He's fantastic. You know, you're, you're starting to see, I think it actually, in the business world, I think it started with, with the hedge funds and the traders. Yeah, actually, I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen the TV show Billions. but Yeah, yeah, I love it. That, yeah, yeah. that idea that of role, having that, yeah. that's, that's certainly become prevalent in that world. And 
And I do think that, that we need to see that elsewhere because, you know, we, we've, the theme of this has been it's not necessarily about the physical abilities as much as it is right. what's between the ears. So there's Yeah, emphasizing that, that and, and not just having it serve a role. Oh, we got to have this person, this, uh, you know, person on our, on our staff because they're a mental skills guy and everybody has them. No, really, implementing them into your team and understanding the limitations of it, you know, and because – like in that show, which I love, um, that woman plays a great mental health professional, but there's also personal things there and there's ego there and there's all sorts of things going on. So I think that's very common, but just to handle it all. And that's what I think Counts does such a great job of is that he he's taught me not to sweat the little stuff. You know what I mean? And he, he, he uses a phrase all the time, I just don't want to give any oxygen to that. And and it's it's cool, you know. And I'm the guy that says, "Hey, well, counts if you don't pay attention to that little piece of dirt on the floor, you know, in a month you're going to have a big pile of dirt in the corner, you know." And and he looks at things a little differently sometimes, and I think he's right a lot of it, you know. So he's helped me, and and we contemplate that type of stuff. So switching gears a little bit here, coming from the NCAA background, you got kids that are 17 to 22. You, you you leave NCAA baseball, you transition into to pro ball. You know, while it's still baseball, that's a dramatic change from from a career perspective and from, from a day-to-day perspective. And I think you know, a lot of people listening to the show go through changes either with different roles in the same company or even career changes. And it, it can really throw you if you're not careful. So for you managing that transition, what sticks out with key, for, for being key, I should say? Well, I mean, for sure, um, willingness to be humble, willingness to take a step back. I was at the top of my field, so to speak, in a lot of people's eyes with financially and, and success on paper. And You won a 1,000 games. I'd say you're at the top well, of the field. But, but so, so that happened. And then I was involved in a NCAA investigation that, that uh, the school uh, made the move to use me as the the focal point and, and kind of threw me under the bus for, for some of the paperwork violations and things like that. And I didn't handle that very well. No, that's never happened to me. Nobody's ever thrown me in the bus for anything. And, you know, my reviews and compliance were tremendous and all that kind of stuff. So I, I got, I really got shocked by this. So, and we were obviously a top five program in the country for about five straight years. And then all of a sudden I get thrown on the bus and look like it's my fault and, and the, the people would believe it because of my personality and some of my um, uh, ways that I've chose to handle things. And so sure enough, you know, I'm out there and nobody wants to touch me because all of a sudden he's, he must he must have done some bad stuff. And I couldn't talk about it because the NCAA has a thing that uh, – They'll charge you with uh, unethical conduct mm-hmm. if you talk about the investigation. So all of a sudden, I'm kind of stuck. I never felt that way in my life, and I'm raising my my eight year old at the time by myself, and um, yeah, it was it was ugly. Um, so I was knocked knocked off my feet. Had a lot of supporters, but um, really didn't know where to go and didn't know how to explain myself. Um, was defensive, was down and out. All of a sudden, I make this transition. I get an opportunity, but it's at a you know small level. Uh, I don't know how permanent it's going to be, but you know, it just became it became a nice transition, and and uh, you, you had to change. I had to change a lot. I had to take a step back, different role, um, and seeing if I could do it. And it, it's worked out nicely. I didn't dream I'd be in the big leagues, didn't aspire to be in the big leagues, to be honest with you. I want to go right back into college. That was my life for 25 years. Why would I ever change it? Those are the people that I thought I could affect. And so, yeah, you end up in pro ball, then you end up in the big leagues and and still learning. So the transition has been uh, has been easy. The th- things that stick out is, is um, I remember going into one of my first player development meetings and uh, the Padres and sitting there and nobody asked my opinion. Well, my whole life for 25 years, I was the one asking for opinions and my opinion sure as hell mattered. And all of a sudden I'm in the, I'm in the uh, play development and nobody asked my opinion. And I was so bitter at those guys driving home. I was, I was like, how could they not ask for my opinion? How could they, you know, and it all was about me and my ego and, and, 
I sat back later and I'm like, wait a minute. They didn't ask for my opinion because I just started. How would I know? Well, they weren't courteous. Well, hey, it's a big boy's game. They weren't courteous. So what? You're going you're gonna to make it about you now? Grow up. You know, you got to earn it. So I was back at square one and I had to earn it. And I'm very proud of, of, uh, of doing it. Uh, I had a lot of time to think and a lot of time to, and, and uh, a little known sidebar is I wanted to be a great example for my son. He had all he had known in baseball, grew up in the dugout. He is now nine years old. And um, I wanted to be a great example for him. I wanted him to see his dad handle this with, with grace. And I don't necessarily think I did it with total grace, but I, I did a lot of it with grace. And um, I earned my way back. And, um, yeah, and is there bitterness about how it was handled, whether it was fair? It doesn't matter. A lot of people suffered a lot worse than I did and a lot more. <laughs> important ways than, than I ever did. But you build yourself back up and you learn from it. And here you are trying to build yourself again. You know, so, yeah, it's a great experience. Great experience. There, there, there's a lot in that, in that answer that, that I'm really curious about. Um, but, but the thing that, that most sticks out, we, we don't like going through crappy circumstances. No, nobody likes it. No, nobody likes get, getting, getting railroaded. And, and I watched that situation from afar, and it, it seemed that you were, were really dealt a, a bad hand just in terms of the way, way people handled it. But, you know, we all have these bad experiences in our life to some degree. Is there a point where you're thankful for it, though, for, yeah, for what yeah. it shaped you and taught you? I think that a lot. A lot of people say, Man, you know, you got the vindication or, man, you really must feel great. And uh, um, it, it, it isn't about the vindication at all. Um, it's more about the learning experience. And, yeah, life would be different, but there'd be another challenge there. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so much to be learned. Um, you know, I just read something the other day about going through hard times, you know, and it's 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 it really reveals a lot about who you are. Um, and, um, yeah, I think, I think it's built me up inside. It's built me up inside. I like when you look at the whole situation, the NCAA, um, the school and myself, and, and if that was a little soap opera, I kind of like who my role in it. I kind of like the character that, that that person is. So I'll stick with it. Um, is it perfect? No. Did I handle things poorly at times? Yes. Um, but I kind of like that character and I'm very thankful that I could go through that because we're all going to go through sticky stuff. If you're aspiring, if you're aspiring to be in impactful situations, you're going to go through sticky stuff and, uh, you know, you'll handle it better the second time, but, yeah. um, yeah, I feel pretty good about getting through it. You know, failure is, I think it was Wooden, John Wooden that said, you know, failure is not fatal, but failure to change might be. You know, I think about this a lot with, with kids and, and I, I had a bunch more questions on, on that topic, but this just really sticks out. You know, even now I've, I have a two-year-old, I have, I have twin two-year-olds and little things like watching them climb up on the couch. I can go pick them up and put them on the couch. Right. They need to fall off at like three or four times or, or struggle with it sure. and get through it in order to, to one master it. But there's a level of satisfaction that comes from failing at something and conquering it that you can't get anywhere else. Right. Especially when you have things in the world and people out there have, again, been through a lot, a lot of tough stuff. But when it's not under your control, when you get screwed or however you want to term it, it doesn't matter if that statement is true or not. If you're thinking you got screwed and everything points to it that you got screwed and you go about it, with that attitude, it's not going to serve you. If you go about it with the attitude like, I could have done things differently, it is a kind of a bad hand. But in proportion to the rest of the bad hands that have been dealt out there in the world, it is what it is. Don't take time to think about it. You know, don't take time to, 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 to feel sorry for yourself. You know, consider yourself lucky because that does give you the opportunity. And keep that in mind. When you're still... Going, you go down that path and you're having a pity party, you know, quickly just take yourself out of it and go in. It's stupid, man. 
You know, other people have had a lot worse stuff. This is your journey. You're not going to go through life and never have somebody deal you a bad hand or you get you get a strike three called on you when it was way outside. It's going to happen. And, um, yeah, it affects a lot of people's lives. But now you have a choice to respond. And response, to me, is the most important thing about competition. You know, how do you respond to something um, quickly, swiftly, with the right mindset and without ego? And that's what I'm. Uh, that's what I'm trying to do. I don't know that I did it perfectly, but uh, that's what I'm trying to do. Do you study Stoic philosophy? Because what you just described—that's Marcus Aurelius and Seneca. No. So, so much of the, so many of these ancient no. philosophers. No, I, mean, I watch you, billions. You summed it up in a nutshell. <laughs> I watch billions and and Ray Donovan. You know, I mean, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I do, I do have a lot of. I've run into a lot of really wonderful people, and I can, I can tell you. One of my most valued possessions, if you will, are these group of people that I have in my life, former players and former coaches and, and just people I've run across in, in life um, because I say yes a lot. You know, I, I say yes. I, I don't um, – I look at everything as an opportunity to meet a new person or whatever. And I've met some great people, and we talk about this kind of stuff um, – trainer for the Diamondbacks, Ken Crenshaw, has become friends. He coached my kid in basketball. And uh, we've become really good friends. And we trade stories and books. And we never have a, 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 you know, just a boring conversation. We always get right into it. Dr. J, Jason Kobler, a a chiropractor in Phoenix that uh, I've become, he's helped my son a bunch and um, become great friends with. You know, I was trying to raise a kid by myself. I didn't know what I was doing. It took a village, and I just met so many wonderful people there. And um, uh, we, we don't have these shallow conversations. We always have pretty good conversations and, and get right to it and um, hold each other accountable. And I, I got so many wonderful friends out there, a guy in the business world, Harvey Jabera, um, who I introduced to some people in baseball and now is part owner of one of the teams. But um, same thing. We talk about real stuff. We talk about parenting. We talk about is this right and why and talking to people that know. I mean, so so that 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 gets me excited in life, having those type of friends, you know. We don't care what kind of car we drive, we don't care where what vacation we went on or, you know, how big our house is. We care about each other and uh talk about pretty powerful things. So that's my that's my education, all the people around me that I'm so lucky to be around. Yeah, we were talking earlier that time is is the ultimate wealth. I think a close second of that is is relationships. In baseball, cert- certainly yields relationships. It's in, in a weird way, it's a small game, but you know, most of those people you just called out were were people outside of the game, right? And you know, it, it's amazing just the different way that the people can can impact your life, right? And and at the same time, they're all in the game too. You know what I mean? Like they they weren't players or coaches necessarily, but they're all in the game in some way. Sure, and we all have an effect on each other and. Um, yeah, this is, you talk about small world. I mean, it's amazing. I'm in, I'm in Sacramento and AAA in 2015. I'm in the third base coaching box and the Sacramento team's behind me in the third base dugout and the kid goes, Hey, Hey Murph, you know, a guy named Lloyd Gobert. And I'm like, yeah, Lloyd Gobert played for me at FAU way back in the day, right handed pitcher from Illinois. He goes, and this was a player on their team. He goes, yeah, that's my dad. I'm like, oh God, <laughs> I know it's a small world, but I don't want to be coaching my former players' kids already. So it uh, makes you feel a little older. But yeah, it's a it's a beautiful thing in that the game has a, a way to connect so many people. Uh, it's really amazing. It's a privilege. It's such a harsh game in some respects, but but it's also such a beautiful game in in that regard. You got to embrace it. I tell I tell I told a kid yesterday. You're trying to control this game. Whenever, whenever you try to control the game, it's gonna de- it's gonna deal you a, a, a really tough tough hand. Just meet the game halfway. Be part of the game. Be be part of the game. And part of that game is struggling. Part of that game is the joy of a walk off hit. Part of that game is not getting an opportunity. Just be part of this this thing that we call baseball. Be part of it. And meet it halfway. If the game deals you a fastball down the middle, then you're going to have an opportunity to whack it. If the game deals you a sinker four inches off and the umpire calls you out, just just deal with it. You know, and I think that it builds a a, a thick skin. It builds a toughness in us that can per, prepare us for a lot of things in life. So that's why I think it's, you know, 
the greatest game in the world. Other people would argue their games are, but I like to make fun of the other games. <laughs> so I don't think you've given an answer thus far where you, you haven't referenced kids or, or your son. No. And if you look at the time of the 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 departure from ASU and all that, you know, your son was you, you said eight or nine at the time. <laughs> There's an odd blessing in that time, you know, when when you're essentially shut down from baseball, you know, and and yeah, you're you're really trying to work hard on being the example for him, but you're also now have found yourself with a lot more time for him, perhaps. Yeah, in some ways. I mean, I haven't seen him in six weeks. My 17 year old, he's been on the road doing this baseball thing uh, for himself all summer. Um, but it's a little more conducive to family, a little more. But the six-month Major League season, you know, there, there's no give. So, um, and he's got his own life going on. Now, my, my three-year-old, three yeah, he can be here with me and see him every day and every evening. Obviously, we go on the road every seven days. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's still a work in progress of how to spend more time with the family. But... I, you find ways. You never get disconnected. The, uh, we were talking the other day, and creation of FaceTime is a tremendous, yeah. tremendous thing. Um, and, uh, you know, again, to me, I've learned in life my priorities are my children. I mean, that's, that's what it is. And it's a healthy priority. And, um, and this thing that I do in baseball for the last 30, 38 years uh, is – you know, it's, it's a life work, you know, it's a life work and it's going to deal you a lot of different cards, but you, you know, you're lucky enough to be in the game. You don't always hit a jackpot, but you're lucky enough to be in the game. And I consider myself lucky. Yeah. So looking across the table at, at, at a guy like me, so, you know, two kids, they're two years old. I'm too dumb to know any better for, for someone that's come on the other side of this with, with, with kids that have grown and are older. What, what is your advice to somebody yeah. in my shoes? Because I guess the, the reason I'm asking this question, I know this is, this is kind of a business show and it's about leadership. It really pains me to see people that don't look at their roles as parents as leadership roles. Right. And I think people look at it as a burden or I got to get my kid here, I got to get my kid there. Instead of looking at it deliberately and thinking, I want to help shape my kid for this or shape him to be somebody that, that can impact the world or just shape him to be somebody people can trust. Yeah. I'll tell you, um, you're touching my heart right now because midway through the season, you know, you, you, uh, it's, uh, you're tired, you're run down, you're, you're, you're battle tested. And, um, I will say this, being a better, being a good parent is truly in my heart of hearts, more important to me than being a good coach. Um, and I got a long way to go in both of them, but I know this, that, Parenting is very similar to coaching in that it's love and discipline in that order. Um, and as kids get older, they get the, the amount of each gets a little closer. They can challenge you a little bit, and the, the discipline and the love get really close. Um, <laughs> but I think love always wins out, and I think that's the most important thing is to learn about love and learn about what it really is and how to give it, how to receive it. Um, and I think that'll, that'll, that'll guide you in parenting, love and discipline in that order. There's, there's going to be breaking balls thrown, you know what I mean? You got to learn to sit back and sometimes just take it the other way or sometimes just take it. But, um, yeah, I think the most important thing is, is, is love and discipline. And if they know what they're supposed to do, when they're supposed to do it, whether they like it or not, they're going to be in a good spot. And that's my definition of, of, uh, discipline. Um, and your definition of dif discipline, um, and what those, what the right thing to do is, um, is up to each individual parent. I think if more people took a look at parenting, I don't, I don't say that it has to be couples together, co-parenting. I think that's probably more difficult. I think I would tell anyone it's easier. It's act, I'm sure. Yeah, it's easier to, to parent, uh, individually. And in my case, I had a village I raised my son, uh, my 17-year-old. Um, but again, Harvey Dorfman was uh, passed away now, a famous sports psychologist. He would say, Murph, it's love and discipline in that order. And they'll get close sometimes, but but keep the order correct. Love on top of discipline. Can you have one without the other? 
Uh, I bet you can. I, I bet. I bet you people are just not prepared. I bet you people um, just have so much ego or their own ego, and they have so much their own. This kid gets in the way, and it's every day. And oh my God, really? And push it on their spouse, or or um, don't realize that. Um, somebody told me one time. Um, Kids spell love, T-I-M-E. And then I tell them, yeah, you got to spend time with them, but you got to really be in the moment. You got to be present, um, really present. They have to sense your presence. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Last night I was I was the Incredible Hulk, and, and he was Captain America, and we were playing, and it didn't matter what was said in between us as long as he sensed that I was in the moment with him and he senses that love and that security. I think you go a long way to then being able to discipline him and teach him and all that kind of stuff. So it's not only love is from kids standpoint is spelled T I M E. And I think, uh, I think being in the moment real time is what I call it. Real time. Um, being in that moment with him is the most important thing. And it's tough. And I think it's getting tougher. We we have all this technology at our fingertips. It, it's helped our lives in a lot of ways. You know, you talked about FaceTime. Plenty of ways, too. I think it's it, it's probably pulled, our, pulled ourselves away, you know. Right. We, we've got mortgages to pay and, and all this stuff. And, and that phone with our work email constantly dinging, pulling us away. Mm-hmm. You know, there there have been times where, you know, I, I try to make a big point. I either put my phone in airplane mode, turning it off, right. whatever, because that there are more distractions than ever. And your point about truly being present with your kids, right. it, it scares me because you can't get that time back. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, the exercises we do with our phone, you know, I, I would recommend everybody, you know, spending two days without their phone, but with their family. And if you spend it with your family and two days without your phone, you're going, but what if I miss this call? What if I miss that call? Well, what if you had a person there and said, look, if something really, 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 you know, big comes up, we'll let you know. And you could spend two minutes, two days without your phone. After you did it, you'd be scrambling through your texts and your emails and you'd have, you know, whatever you'd have. And it would be over and you'd be like, wow, I'm all caught up. <laughs> you know, yeah. I made the five, five phone calls and these other seven can wait. I text people back and nobody calls each other personally anywhere anymore. Anyways, everybody just texts. So, you know, you get all that done. You're like, Whoa, I did that two days without the phone with my family, you know, doing things. And it's a habit and our habits become our reality. And, and I think it's a good exercise to go without your phone and realize how quickly you can catch up. And what is that really saying? Like you mentioned, you know, time, it's so important. And we can't get it back, but we can be more efficient with our phone. We don't have to answer every text that moment. Yeah. We don't have to get it that day. You know, friends that don't text me right back and, or I don't text them right back and they go, Hey, what's wrong? I'm like, bro, uh, I'm busy. I'm working. Do you really need I'm to living me? now? Yeah. You know, like, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's a shame, but, uh, like you said, there's the, both sides of it. I think we will come to a point where, where our young people realize they need to put that down. I hope. Yeah. You've been on an elevator recently? No, everybody's got their head down. Hey, go in the locker room today, right now. Go in the locker room. Heads down? Yeah, That's everybody's on their perspective, phone. thinking about a big league club. Everybody's on their phone. That. I would put a rule in. We haven't yet, but I'd put a rule in where, okay, phones are out. You know, not because they're dangerous, not because, but they can distract you. Phones are out. You don't need to be connected to that. You're okay on your own. Talk about insecurity. You're okay on your own. Yeah. You don't need it. And well, that was a big thing I did. So when I when I was in the corporate world, still, I would have a no laptop, no phone policy for for meetings. That was both with my team. And if I if I was in a boardroom or wherever else, all right, here's what we're gonna do, guys. We're gonna close the laptops. We're gonna put our phones in this box next to the door. Suddenly, a two-hour meeting is a 15-minute meeting. Right, it, right. It's amazing what we can do when our mind isn't divided a million different no, ways. No, that's so true. That's so true. And you're in the batter's box. You don't have your phone with you. You know what I mean? <laughs> There's only one thing that matters. That's so true. That's that, that level of focus that I think we, right. we, we absolutely miss. And the greatest, the greatest times of development in our life are not on our phones. 
you know, the greatest time of revelation are not on our phones. The greatest time of, 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 of learning is not on our phones. It just isn't, you know. Uh, it's relating to people. It's being in the moment. It's figuring things out for yourself. How, how much time do you spend by yourself thinking purely about good things, you know what I mean, about what can be? You know, I have this thing where I'll reveal to you, like sometimes at about 4.30 in the morning, I wake up, you know, at my age, you don't sleep all night anyways. So I wake up at like 4.30 in the morning and that wolf visits me and it's a very negative wolf and he or she's got me thinking, you know, like negative stuff. What about this? Oh, this could happen. This could happen. That could happen. That could happen. This is my, oh, you got to, you got so many things. And then I just decide, I sit up and I go, hey, this is BS. You know, get out of here. I'm not going to listen to this wolf. You know, he visits me because he wants to test me and I'm getting rid of him. You mean nothing. You know, and it reminds me to sharpen my skills and be, you know, be ready for the day. And it happens to me a lot, but I'm, I'm hyper aware of it. And just the awareness says, this is nonsense. He's trying to drag me down. I'm not going to go there. So I know we got to be cognizant of time. I know you got the the twins in town tonight and we're getting to the end of time here, but I I got one more thing I'm just really curious about. Got it. What's next for you? So obviously, you know, the the brewers, it's, it's a great thing here. and, And, you know, you've got this incredible atmosphere. You know, do you ever think you get back in the college game? Do you want to manage the big league level? Do you do you like the role you're doing now, or or, or do you even I, not think about it? Because that's totally fair too. Yeah, you know what? Um, so that's one of the wolves that comes and gets me. Uh, one of the wolves that shows up is like four thirty. Hey, you need to be doing this. Hey, you need to. Be, hey, you know that's ego. Um, I'm going to let it happen. Whatever happens, happens. Uh, what I want, be careful of what you want because you may not. It might not be exactly what you think it is. Um, uh, set standards for what I'll do. Um, if I, if I take another position in a professional life, I, I want to set standards that, that I really live up to and not just jump at, uh, opportunities, be a manager in the big leagues. There's only 30 managers in the big leagues at any one time. And, you know, there's more governors than managers, you know, um, it's tough, tough position. Um, college coaching, there's 300 division one jobs. There's probably 50 that are real serious about making sure their baseball team goes. I'm not sure how many universities really care about um, how good their baseball program is. I think that you can find a lot of real capable people to coach in college. Um, so what's next? I, I, I really don't know. I like what I'm doing now. Um, I like the atmosphere. Uh, so. Nothing's going to be perfect. Uh, you can always find issues with it, but you try to make it perfect. And right now I'm living day by day, doing doing whatever I can. I'm looking at trying to help this team in some little way, beat the Twins tonight and uh, be with my family later and and um, get an opportunity to talk to some great friends and go to the next day and really not try to plot or look ahead or anything like that. I think there's wisdom in that. We we're always told we got to plan for the future. We got to have goals and all this stuff. And if we're not careful with that, it really pulls us away from the gift of the present. I think so. I mean, it's, it's never, it's never helped me. It's never helped me. I've got a bunch of instances. And when, um, my college days, I was in demand a lot and, and, um, and it distracted me from moments that I could not get back right now and that I wish I had back. So, yeah, I, I try to just say, hey, this is what I do. And if other opportunities come, yeah, I'm going to have standards about, you know, where I go next for sure. Sure. Well, I appreciate your time. Yeah, Thanks. I really enjoyed this. I, I really did. I, I I had no idea what to expect. And, um, again, for all those people out there that are not in the baseball world, I probably a lot didn't make total sense. And, and um, yeah, but I, I feel privileged to that we could talk and um, share a little bit. I, I really do. Thanks. Well, I think there's tremendous insight, and, and I think the people in the business world will, will take a great deal away from it. So thank you. It's, it's wonderful to see you, and it's wonderful to hear your wisdom after all these years. Thank you so much. I really appreciate uh, meeting up with you again. 
I hope everybody found that interview as interesting as I did. I think there's a lot that we can all put to work right away in our own lives. And while baseball is a small world, there's certainly something that directly applies to business and frankly, our own lives within this as well. So certainly a lot that we can all use there. And definitely be sure to share this with anybody that you think might find it useful. If you have thoughts on this, I would love to hear them. Drop me a message, chris at leadingbythebook.com, or shoot me a message on Twitter at chrisbook as well. So until next week, wishing you all a wonderful week. Hope you all have some fun. We'll talk to you soon.